Good morning. Uh, today's scripture reading will be from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Uh, that can be found on page 1040 in the Pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. Again, uh, Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetedness, let it not be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon, upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. We want to be an encouragement to you also. It is a blessing to be with God's people and to worship God this morning. I want to remind you of a couple of things that are really important. Tonight, we are thankful to have with us as guests folks from SOC, that's Tennessee Tech University Christian Student Center in a student center minister and about 15 of the uh, individuals that are part of that student center are going to be here as our guest. And so any of you that attend Tennessee Tech University or if you're a recent graduate and you've been a part of that great work, uh, we want to be sure that you stay immediately following services for a supper and then there'll be an informal meeting where Scott will uh, talk with you and answer any questions. And so be sure if, if you are a student Plan on being there. If you're a parent or a grandparent that has a student there, uh, be sure and get word to them that they are going to be here tonight. And it's a wonderful way to form uh, relationships and connections. We hosted them a couple of years ago, and it really made a huge impact on some of our kids that were there. Uh, they can put it in their own words and tell you the impact that it made. And so we hope that doing that again tonight uh, will make a huge impact on even other lives that are there. It's a wonderful Christian student center that does a lot of good and really encourages young people to keep their focus on the Lord uh, while they're in the years at college. Also, we'll remind you again, I still do the seminars coming up this weekend. Lonnie Jones will be uh, the presenter at it Friday night, 7 to 10, and then Saturday morning. Be sure and look for the registration forms that are out at Information Center. Fill that out. Complete it today. Get that in. There will be child care available. And also, it's open to those outside in the community. If you have friends that would want to come and to hear a Christian perspective of how to build strong marriages, we would love uh, for them to have the opportunity to do that. Also, keep in mind, the elders, deacons, ministers, meeting will be today at five o'clock over at the 2030 building. And we want to remind all of that. When we think of the many, many passages and the many ways that God challenges us today, one of the great challenges that he puts before us is the challenge to live pure and holy lives. We've talked over the past couple of weeks. For example, two weeks ago, we looked at we can love the world and the things that are in the world. 
even though the Lord pleads with us not to do that, we can. And one of the things that are in the world that he says we can love is, is the lust of the flesh. But he's calling us out. He wants us to be a part of his church. He wants us to be a part of him. The called out, that's literally what the word church means. The called out are those who have decided to not live for self and they have decided to live for the Lord. And those who are called out live by a higher standard. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, there's something very important you need to understand. We're going to talk about a topic this morning that the world is very comfortable practicing and even says, you can't judge me on this. Listen, there's not anybody here perfect. But when we are called out of the world, the Lord does expect us in one sense to come as we are, but he expects us to change, to repent to conform to his standard of living. We can live a lowly fleshly life that's driven by carnal, sinful, fleshly desires, what we feel like doing, what we want to do at any spur of the moment. Or we can live by a higher standard that is from God that calls us not only to be a reflection of him, his holiness and his purity, but it also blesses our life and sets us up to be a blessing to those that are around us. I'd like for you to notice this text again. And if you have your Bible open, I'm going to remind you of some things leading down to Ephesians, the fifth chapter in verse 6 and 7. Notice there in 6 and 7, he begins 6 by saying, let no one deceive you. How are we going to be deceived? Well, it's not going to be words of truth if we're deceived. We're deceived with empty words. For because of these things, there's things that we will be deceived about. These things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, if you have your Bible open, you notice that that sons of disobedience is a sharp contrast to verse one where he is calling us. And, and here's the points for today's lesson. And tonight we'll complete this lesson. There's five points. In verse one, we're called to be imitators of God. And that is as dear children. That's a sharp contrast to this verse six where we, are, we can be disobedient sons. Or verse one, we can be dear children. It depends on if we're being deceived by the world or if we are imitators of God. Point number two will be the fact that in verse two, we are to walk in love, verse two. That love is sacrificial. Are you willing to take your body and sacrifice your will for God's will and the way you use your body. Number three begins in verse three and goes in three and four and five. And that is beginning with the word but. There is a sharp contrast in the way the world would live and the way that those who are children of God would live. And he calls out some very specific sins, but especially they're built around the idea of fornication. Now, that leads us here to verse 6 and to verse 7. And the fourth point is, don't be deceived. The world is going to tell a lot of lies about this. And the final point is verse 5 out of verse 7. I said that wrong, didn't I? Point five out of verse seven. And that is that, that we are not to be partakers. Oh, sure, it's going to be tempting because our fleshly will will call us back to it. And we'll have to decide, are we going to rise up to the spiritual calling that God sets before us? Or are we going to bow to the fleshly and carnal nature? This morning, I'd like for us to do this. Let's look at verse six. 
are we really being deceived today? And then point number one out of verse number one, what if we were imitators of God? And the other four points we'll come back tonight and continue to address, and I hope you'll be here. We all know, know what it is to say you have your head in the sand. When we think about whether or not we're being lied to, there's a book that the subtitle of the book is Paradox of the Sexual Revolution by Mary Eberstadt. And I'm not going to read her introduction of chapter one, but I want to borrow some thoughts from it to just provoke all of our thinking about whether or not we or we in a broader sense as a society in the Western civilization today, are we being lied to? And then the greater question is, are we as children of God believing the lies that the world would offer? I want you to imagine for a moment a world that you're living in and that the very essence of the ideas of which we live under have awful economic, moral, and social consequences. But yet at the same time, we've been living under it long enough that the empirical evidence is mounting high that it is a horrible way in which to live. Now imagine step number two. Step number two is that despite the empirical evidence about the human cost of these ideas, many people, including leaders, leading scholars, and the majority of people are saying, there's really not any problem with the way we're living. Even though the empirical evidence is mounted high, the data is sometimes considered an artifact or the most perverse of all approach to this is that the consequences of these ideas are actually presented as good. Ignoring the data, twisting it and saying bad is actually good. And the only reason you people can't see that it's actually good is because you haven't been enlightened. You don't understand what we understand. And so if you would rise to a higher level of experiences and education, you would understand really how good this is. The intellectual denial captures the wisdom and it holds the world hostage for personal preference, even at the cost of the soul. The Cold War is probably a good example of this, although what we're experiencing today as it relates to sexual immorality is far more uh, a greater lie that's being believed by a far greater population. But any of us that have a little bit of age on us, we remember that before the Berlin Wall fell, that all across America, there were elite universities where supposedly the keenest minds in their university would still argue that communism was a much better way to live than capitalism. And they would take all the empirical evidence that was mounted up about how horrible individuals were treated, how many people uh, were, were killed, how, how much uh, disparaging economic and moral problems were existing. And yet there were the elite minds in America that would argue that they were anti-communism. Anti now, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist today, but when the Berlin Wall fell in the late 80s, 
it became very hard for them to voice their opinion anymore because what we thought was true was revealed to the whole world that communism hurts people deeply. Today, that's a drop in the bucket for the lies that we are being told in America. America is sold a bill of goods that sex outside the boundaries of marriage is nothing to be concerned about. That actually there are many very good things that come out of it. It's just another option. And if you want to know whether or not you should marry someone, it is a wonderful way to experience a cohabitating relationship so that you can see if it is. It is according to many of the thoughts that go back and came out of the 1960s that the sexual revolution was going to liberate women, that it was going to be a good thing for this nation. And yet ever since then, what we see is that it has not been a good thing for this nation. It hasn't been good for women. And as a matter of fact, it's been horrible for children. It hasn't been good for men. It hasn't been good for the family structure. Divorce skyrocketed after the sexual revolution. Children born into single family homes skyrocketed after the sexual revolution. Poverty has increased and the leading cause for poverty among children is single parenthood. STDs have become a huge problem that consumes not only lives, but millions and millions of dollars. The moral implications, not saying that it's solely responsible for it, but listen, there is a reason why at the same time, special needs classes in school went up. The need for greater populations in prison, the need to, for capacity of, of greater populations being held in prison went up. There have been serious and sober consequences. The evidence is mounding. And here's what you hear in America about it. You'll never hear a report on the news about how much harm sex outside of the boundaries of marriage is causing. You'll never hear anyone admit that it's creating havoc in the lives of young women and young men. You'll never look at those children that need all kind of federal support and federal help, and they're growing up sometimes and oftentimes in very difficult situations, and America will cry out all of the things they need, but no one will say what they really need. A mother and a father who are married to each other. Listen. It is the most frequent lie that is told in our society, by my opinion. I can't think of anything that you and I on a daily basis are lied to more often and with more convincing power simply because of the sheer numbers of people that believe it and fall into the lie. So please understand me. This morning, our study in God's Word is to not convince the world that sexual immorality is wrong. 
because the world has no desire at this time to live for God. So therefore, there is no way that they could believe that it is wrong. We can only understand this when we focus our attention on our higher being, on the higher living that he has called us to live. And so I'm not saying we all need to leave here and we need to go to work tomorrow and we need to chew out in a mean-spirited way anybody in the office that's cohabitating. That's not at all what the purpose of this lesson is. The purpose of this lesson is make sure that we know the truth, that we love the truth, that we're not believing a lie and that we can stand up for anyone that wants to know what the truth is and we can clearly describe and define what it is. It is important for us to realize that the 60s have not been good to us. The New York Times article that came out a few years ago, I thought was really revealing. And I thought it was interesting that this was, was in the New York Times. The title of the article was for women under 30, most births occur outside of marriage. So the majority of children for women 30 or under, most of their births occur outside of marriage. Now there's something real important that I want you to see about this that we are lied to on a regular basis. You remember, Paul said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, he says, do not be deceived. There's a lot of deception going around and probably one of the greatest ways that Satan has deceived us about this topic is we can't help it and we're not responsible. And this morning, I do not say this to degrade anyone. I say this to make a point about the fleshly nature versus the spiritual nature. There is something that is in a tremendous way completely different about the sexuality of animals and the sexuality of human beings by the way God designed for us to live. But what we see in America today is we see something that is much more like an animal than like a reflection of God and his creation that he designed for us to live. And so as we think about this, I just want you to think about one of the lies, the huge lies is you can't control it and nobody is responsible. So in this article that is doing a pretty good job of revealing there are some real negative consequences to individuals going into sexual relationships and having a ch children and then trying to raise them uh, in a single family. And that's, that's what this article is about. But again, you're not gonna hear anyone say, and the problem is sexual immorality. Let me give you, this is just a line in the article. It's not a heading, this is just a line in the article. Meanwhile, children happen. Really. So that's where children come from, they just happen. That's interesting. Amber Strader, 27, was in an off and on relationship with a clerk of Sears a few years ago when she found herself pregnant. Hmm. A former nursing student who now attends bar, Mrs. Strader said her boyfriend was so dependent that she had to buy his cigarettes. Marrying him never entered her mind. It was like living with another kid, she said. When a second child with a new boyfriend followed three years later, her birth control failed. She said her boyfriend, a part-time house painter, was reluctant to wed. Later on, she talks about she keeps her parents' wedding photograph in her kitchen because one day she dreams of being married. Now listen, I'm not trying to beat up this young lady or the one that wrote this article. 
But do you see the huge flaws in this article? These things don't just happen. There is a direct consequence for sin. Children don't just happen. STDs don't just happen. Psychological, social, financial pain does not just happen. It is a result of our choice when we decide to have sex outside of the boundaries of marriage. But the world will never tell us that. And so we need to hear the words again of Paul in Ephesians 5. Don't be deceived by their vain or their empty words. The world is going to try to say, oh, it just happens. Because after all, you know you're animals and you can't control yourself. You can't live by a moral standard that's higher than your fleshly desire. It's going to just happen. You better get your, your daughters on birth control because it's just going to happen. Parents, you need to just know, you don't try to keep up with your children where they are. You don't try to, to encourage them and direct them in, in safe boundaries of dating and etc. You don't worry about those things. It's going to just happen. This morning, I beg you to realize God did not send his son to die on the cross to call us to a standard of living that is like an animal. He called us to something beautiful. He called us to something that is possible and is powerful. He called us to something that will bless our lives and it will bless the lives of those around us. He called us to a life that when we live that life, we will be a blessing to our family, to our church family, to our community. We will be a blessing not because we were so smart we figured it out on our own, but because we submitted to the one who is almighty and all-knowing. Do we believe the lies or do we believe the one who knows? And so now we go to Ephesians 5 and 1, and I would like for you to think about how powerful the phrase we've already mentioned a few times is. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. When we think about a healthy parental child relationship, it will naturally contain the environment that the children will follow the leadership of the father. Now I realize there's, there's a lot of relationships that aren't healthy, but I'm talking about in a healthy one. And so here, definitely a relationship with God. If we're in the relationship, God is going to be healthy in that relationship. And so he says, listen, I want you to imitate me. I want you to copy me. Now, God is not physical. So we're not going to copy God as a physical being, if you will. So we say, well, God, what, what is it that you want me to imitate you about? And he would say, I want you to imitate me in following my will. God, Christ, the Spirit. They, are, they have a characteristic of holiness about them. They have high, excellent virtues about them. They have a goodness and a righteousness that is consistent. And we're being called by God to be his dear children, to be submissive to his leadership and to his will. Well, what would that look like? If we were going to ask God, God, let's, let's start with a clean slate. You tell us what does it mean to be imitators of you? And if I understand the Bible right, and if you want to be dropping back to Genesis 2, if, if we said to God, start with a clean slate and tell us what you want us to understand, the first thing he would say is, okay, let's go back to Genesis 1. You need to understand who I am. I'm the creator. 
and I love you and I made this wonderful universe for you to dwell in. I've made a home for you. And he says, as a matter of fact, Genesis 2, you need to understand who you are. You need to understand that I made you very different in genders. I made Adam first. And then in Genesis 2, I put Adam into a deep sleep only after I allowed him to realize that he was lonely. And when I put him into a deep sleep, I took a rib out of his body. And tonight, I encourage you to come back. We're going to study some things about the body that you may not have ever thought about before in the sense of how valuable the body is that God created. And he says, I'm going to create a woman, but I'm not going to create another man. I'm going to create a woman. She's going to be a companion. The anatomy is going to be very different for her, but it's going to be very wonderful for them. I'm going to create a gift for them, and the gift is going to be that of marriage. And I'm going to allow them to be committed not only in relationship with me, but I'm going to create a way for them to be committed in relationship to each other. And I'm going to create something special. And I'm almost tempted to say, if you're young this morning, you may not have really thought about this in the depth that you need to think about it, even though it's very elementary. But God would say, I want to create a relationship for you as a husband and wife to share that is so special that that physical sexual relationship you'll never share with anyone else. That's what God designed the sexual relationship to be. The world sells it as the end product. God sells it as something beautiful that is a part of the end product of a healthy marriage. I've got to say that again to make sure you get it. The world is deceitful. The world takes sex and holds it up and says, this is the end. This is what you're reaching for. This is what's going to bring you fulfillment. This is going to prove, fill in the blank. And God is saying, are you kidding me? Yes, it's beautiful. But it's not the end of something. It's this beautiful part of a greater whole of a relationship that is to be shared only between a man and a woman who are committed to each other. Let's read Genesis 2 and 24 here. Notice what he says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. You see what we have here? We already have the design of family. Oftentimes I, I ask in, in parenting seminars, I say, when is the first time that God mentions parents in the Bible? And, and I'm not trying to say, oh, David's got a neat one up his sleeve. But I'm just saying, I don't think anybody's ever answered it right. They'll, they'll think and they'll finally say, uh, uh, they'll say, Cain and Abel, Genesis 4. I say, no, no, go back to Genesis 2. That's the first time that parenting is mentioned. And when is it mentioned? It's mentioned in the boundaries of marriage. There is a reason why it's mentioned here. God wanted a man leaving a mother and father who are married to each other. And he wanted a, a woman who, who was the daughter of a, a man and a woman who were married to each other. Husband and wife, husband and wife, son, daughter. And they're going to come together. And notice it's going to be a man and a wife. In other words, it's not cohabitation. It's not a man and a woman just coming together. It's a wife. He's talking about marriage here. 
And notice when he says they shall be joined, the joining here is not talking about the physical relationship. The joining here is talking about the commitment they're going to make to be married. What? This is what God, Jesus said about God in Matthew the 19th chapter when he said, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Listen, when we come together in marriage, God joins us together, but we need to understand that we are making a commitment to say, you, husband, wife, we are joined in this relationship together. Now notice the last part of this, and they shall become one flesh. That one flesh must be speaking about the sexual relationship. We do not get beyond the introduction of God being the creator, you and I being the creation, for he says, whoa, stop right here. I want to talk to you about the very backbone of the human race. I'm the creator and the family must be strong. The family, husband and wife, joined together. That sexual relationship is shared within the boundaries of marriage. Have you ever... Well, I got some notes here I want somewhere. Here we go. Have you ever thought about what if everybody in the world, and again, I know the world will not believe this, but I'm showing you how it blesses others, it blesses civilizations, it blesses communities, so that then we can back up and say, that's what God created me to be. Have you ever thought about what if everyone in the world repented today? Everyone, and we all have the opportunity to. What if everyone repented today and said, no more. I will never participate in sexual activity outside of marriage, ever, never again. I encourage you this week to think about that. What you're going to think about is you're going to think about things like this. In a little more than nine months, every child born in the world would have a mother and father married to each other. Our taxes would go down because poverty would decline tremendously. And in a few years, we wouldn't have most inner cities. Wouldn't that be awesome? Most inner cities would disappear if there were committed relationships between husbands and wives. Huge feuds, fights, arguments, and even some murders would not take place. Abortion would decline radically. Prison population over the next few years would fall drastically because you know that most prisoners, it's something like 90%, say that they have no relationship with their father. Think about if every child in America had a meaningful relationship with their father because they honored Genesis 2.24. If every person honored Genesis 2.24, how different would this world be? Society would become a society that exemplifies responsibility. <laughs> there wouldn't be any more of this really dumb language. Children happen. Instead, there would be responsibility for their actions. And people would take care of those children because they didn't just happen. Society would exemplify self-control and restraint. A lot of the special education programs would decline. A lot of the emotional and behavioral problems would decline. STDs would in time virtually end, the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars spent on AIDS, the research and the treatment, it wouldn't be that long before that would not be needed for the most part. Families, 
could enjoy family reunions like they did in the 40s and the 50s. No husband or wife would ever worry about their spouse being unfaithful. Sitcoms would have to change completely how they do business. There wouldn't be social acceptance of immodesty because you wouldn't be selling sex anymore. All of those sideline things that go along with the selling of premarital sex. And I know if you've never thought about this, you're probably saying, that's just not true. Think about it this week. If there were no such thing as anyone saying, I'm not having a sexual relationship outside of marriage, forget it. Can you imagine how the flirting in the office would stop? Imagine being in an environment where sex wouldn't sell, where what people talked about is admiring people's holiness, their virtues, their character. There'd be no homosexuality, no adultery, no pedophilia, no bestiality, no cohabitating. Brethren, again, I urge you to realize this isn't a message for the world because the world doesn't believe in God. This is a message for the children of God. And the question is, are you going to imitate God or are you going to imitate the world? What did I learn today? Perhaps the biggest, most frequent lie told in America today is about sexual sin. Number two, imitating God requires us to take responsibility for our actions. Number three, God is looking for his dear children, not an animal farm. This morning, it's the beginning of a lesson that hopefully tonight we'll come back and we will exalt God in the way that we think. There's not anybody here perfect and according to statistics, more people here have committed fornication than not. And I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about in the church according to statistics. And so if you're a visitor here this morning and you say, well, they think they're better than everybody. No, we don't. But what we long for is 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, where we can say such were some of you. Yes, there's people here that have been fornicators, but we want to be forgiven. We want our sins washed away and we want to live by a higher standard of living. We do not want to believe the lies. We will not cave in to that fleshly living that says it's just going to happen. No, not in God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is not accepted. And it's not just going to happen. God's kingdom calls us to live like him, pure and holy. This morning, if you've never become a part of God's kingdom and you want to be baptized into Christ for mission of your sins, what a wonderful entrance way in to know that God is celebrating and the whole congregation will celebrate with you. If we can help you with that, we would love to. Maybe you're ready to come back to the Lord. Maybe you're sorry for sins. You want to repent of sins and confess sins.